A.W. Tozer said, The man who, who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. The man or the woman who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. We're starting part two of what's going to be probably a, a few months of a series through the Apostles' Creed. We started it last week and we said the Apostles' Creed is helpful for us. It, it helps us very succinctly say what it means to be a Christian, what a Christian believes, what are the core truths of Christianity. It wasn't written by the Apostles, but it is the Apostles' teaching, what's been passed on for centuries. And when we say it together, we're saying what the church, what Christians have believed for thousands of years, the truth, what it means to be a Christian. And last week we looked at I believe, what it means to have faith. And this week we're looking at the second part. I believe in God, the creed says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Americans still have a pretty high view of God. A recent poll done in November said that 74% of Americans still believe in God. There's all kinds of gods that Americans believe in. That's why we need the creed to help us and scripture to help us. Who is your God? And some people have different views about God. Even Calvin and Hobbes have different views um, about God. And Calvin said, he says, do you think there's a God? Well, somebody's out to get me. And maybe that's how you feel when you're thinking about God. That's how many people feel when they're talking about God. What God do you believe in? Because you're believing in a God. The question is, is it the God of Scripture? Who is it you're committed to? Who is it you're trusting in? Who are you believing in? Who are you absolutely all in saying, that's my God? There's a God that you're believing in. Is it the God of the Bible? What is your attitude toward God? What's your response to God? And what is your relationship to God? Do you have a right view of God? You know, an atheist would say there is no God. God doesn't exist. A polite theist would say, I believe in God, and they will tip their hat to God. And then there's practical atheists. And that's actually the group that I'm most concerned of for us. Even those who say that they are Christians, and they're following the God of the Bible. Do we really believe that I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Are you an atheist? Are you a polite theist? Are you a practical atheist? Or do you really believe in this God? And we're going to read Romans chapter 8 to help us get looking into this this morning. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And diving into Romans chapter 8 is kind of like being, as J.R. Packer said, it's kind of like landing on top of the mountain without climbing it. It is one of the high points of Scripture, this chapter. The book of Romans is one of the high 
most theologically wonderful books of Scripture. And Romans chapter 8 is the high point. But I'm going to read the whole chapter. And as I read it, I want you not just to hear it, I want you to read along with me. Think about what it's saying. Because it has a lot to say about God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provide we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. That's what Romans 8 says. That's what we want, I hope. And the creed helps us with our understanding of what it means to know God, to be connected with God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Romans 8, right at the beginning, all through there you heard the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, all of them are God. So the Apostles' Creed and Christian faith is a belief in one God in three persons. We call that the Trinity. The word Trinity is never said in Scripture, but we believe there is one God in three distinct persons. It's implied in the Apostles' Creed. It's all through Romans chapter 8, it's all through Scripture that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And the only way that we can know God is because God revealed himself to us. And Scripture says he reveals himself through creation, like it said in Psalms 19. He's revealed himself in our conscience, as it says in Romans chapter 1, that men know God, but they suppress the truth about God. And the Scriptures reveal God to us. So when we come to the scriptures and we see the God of the Bible, it is a God who is in Trinity. He's tri. He's three. There's three in one. One God, three distinct persons. And he's revealed himself to us that way. We can't understand the Trinity. It'll blow our minds to try to figure out the Trinity. But it is how God has revealed himself to us. God has not revealed everything about himself to us. But what he has chosen to reveal to us, he reveals to us. Just like watching the, the, the show The Voice. You ever see that show? They're all singing. Everybody's got their backs to them. And they, they start singing. And the person singing is revealing a little bit of themselves to the people. And if they like them, they all hit their buttons and they turn around. And what's the question they always ask them? What's your name? Where are you from? And what's your dream? That's what God did for us. 
He revealed to us his name. The Bible assumes God. And he revealed, to him, he revealed himself to us as a father, as the son, and as the Holy Spirit. He, he told us what his name is. He told us where he was from. And he explained to us what his dream is, which is for us to glorify God. So if you're a Christian, to be a Christian means you have to believe in the Trinity. The three in one. It is a core doctrine of Christianity. So if someone says to you, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit, but I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, that's not Christian belief. It's heresy. It's false. They're not believing in the God of the Bible. If someone believes in the Father and they don't believe in the Son, they're not believing in the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has revealed himself in the Trinity. One God, three persons. It's a very important doctrine. It was first talked about in about 8200s. Tertullian was the first guy to use it, which was about the time the creed was being developed. And this is a definition of the Trinity. I'm going to give you two. The Trinity is that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God and the three, and there is one God, the Bible says. Another definition is Trinity is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are each fully and equally God in eternal relation with each other. There is one God, three distinct persons in the Godhead. Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. The New Testament, 1 Timothy 1.17 says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And then John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. And it's a mystery. It will blow your mind to try to figure out the Trinity. We, we aren't able to do it. And people have come up with analogies to how do you understand this, this God who is Father, who's Almighty, He's Creator. How do we understand Him? And people have used, you know, you can take the sun. There's the, the sun, and then there's the heat from the sun, and then there's the, the radiance from the sun. All those are all three different things, but they're all one. That's one way to do it. People have used water. Um, you have ice. You have liquid water. You have steam. That's another, all three same things as water. The pretzel has been used. But all of them break down. They, they, they all, all the analogies break down. It's a mystery. And we can't get thrown off by it and say, well, I can't understand it, so I can't believe it. No, God revealed himself to us in that way, that he is one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to be a Christian, we believe in the Trinity. We believe in one God, three distinct persons in the Godhead. It's a mystery, but we still believe it. We, we understand mysteries, don't we? I have a, I have a Kindle. And there's this thing called the cloud on the Kindle. And there's books, it says, in the cloud, and then on your device. And if I want to find a book, I can go to the cloud, or I can put it on my device. I have no idea what the cloud is. But they tell me it's there. My books are there. 
And so I can't, I don't know where the, I don't understand the cloud. I have no concept of how the cloud works, but somewhere in the cloud, there's my books that I want. And so I click a button that says on the cloud and all of a sudden it comes into my Kindle on my device. I have no clue how it works, but it works. And I accept it. There are all kinds of mysteries that we deal with on a regular basis. And the Trinity is just one of them. And this is God says, this is who I am. One God, three distinct persons. And I dwell in perfect unity together. And it is critical for us in so many ways. So we believe in the Trinity. If you don't believe in the Trinity, we can't fully understand justification. If we don't believe in the Trinity, we can't understand how God can justify himself, be the justifier and the one who is justified. It's not that God takes on three different forms. He is one God and three distinct persons. It's important that we understand that to be a Christian is to believe in the Trinity. That's how God has revealed himself to us. But he also revealed himself to us as the creator, as the creed says, almighty and father. So we're going to take them in reverse this morning and look at God as creator, God as almighty, and God as father. And what does that mean for us? First of all, God is the creator. He is the owner of the universe. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says in Colossians 1 and Psalms 104, it says that all aspects, all, all the persons of the Godhead were part of creation. Genesis 1, the Bible just assumes that God exists and that God is the creator. And when he's beginning to create, God says in Genesis chapter 1, God says, and let us, numerous times in Genesis chapter 1, he says, let us, let us, verse 28, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over them. Who's the us? It is God. He is dwelling in unity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God was not bored when he created us. It wasn't that God was lonely that he needed somebody to hang out with, and he needed some pals, so he decided to create the universe. God, because he dwells and has always dwelled in community with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Son, with the Father, and the, the Spirit, God has always lived in community, enjoyed community, and creation it was not because he was bored. Creation was because he had such wonderful community that it was part of who he was to express that by glory, by creating other people that he could have community with. God is a creator, which means God is unbelievably immeasurable. We can't measure God. We can't imagine how great God is. God has no limitations. He has no bounds because of his creative power and because of who he is. And the world doesn't understand this. Psalms 19 says, Creation itself displays the glory of of God. If you're a follower of Christ, we should look at creation and say, well, this is the glory of, this is pointing to the fact that God exists, that God is real. The vastness of creation explains the fact that this God is here. He did this. He created this for us. God is immeasurable. We can't figure out God. He had to reveal himself to us, and his creation is so vast there's a thing called the Great Wall. It's just millions and billions 
of miles away. It's, it's 10 billion light years away, which if you're not sure what a light year, light year is, it's a little less than 6 trillion miles, just a little less. And there is a cluster of stars 10 billion light years away that astrologists have found, and they call it the Great Wall because they, they, they can't see beyond it. It's just this unbelievable expanse of light and stars 10 billion light years away. God is immense. The Bible says that he created us. He's immeasurable. We can't understand his greatness. God is the controller of this creation. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. We'll never find the end of creation because God doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an ending. When he creates things, it just goes. We can't understand that. But God has no limits. He's immeasurable. How does that apply to us in a real practical way? The immeasurableness of God? We better be really careful then. If this is God, that he created everything that you know, it has no ending, it's unbelievably immeasurable, and this is the God that we serve, the God of the creator, we should be really careful then how we talk about God, how we use his name. The God that created the universe and has stars and things that we don't even know about billions of miles away, when your TV station doesn't come on and your response is, oh my, really? Is that the best way to use the name of God and think of God? That we just toss it around? It also should make us very humble. We think, I want to get it my way. I have to do it my way. It's not working out. Why isn't God giving me what I want? God created us. He owns us. And he is his, his power is immeasurable. We need to humble ourselves before God. God sustains all of his creation, he says in Hebrews chapter 1. God is our creator, owner. He's immeasurable. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God of Christianity. He is the creator. And he's also almighty, the creed says which means God's in charge. I believe in God the Father Almighty. The emphasis of that should dispel any tendency towards some sentimental domestic deity that you can just tip your hat to. Yeah, I believe in God. God is Almighty, the Bible says. God is, He's Lord, He's King, He's Sovereign is what that means, which means God reigns. He reigns over everything. He's immense. He's in charge. Nothing is hid from God. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account, Hebrews 4.13 says. God is holy, it says in Psalms 86. He's all-knowing. In Colossians, it says that he's all-powerful. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
God is in charge of our lives. He created us, which means he owns us. And God is almighty. He knows everything about us. That's why when Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah had the vision of God, he, he, he was stunned by how almighty God was. Which means God is in control of you. He's in charge of you. It also means that God is in control of everything else and that you're not in control of everything else. And that's okay, actually. What that should say to us is if God's almighty, that should remind us as Christians that, you know what? God's in control. I don't have to be in control. We should find great rest in that. Luke 13, 7 says, nothing is impossible with God. Some of you have very difficult situations that you're going through right now. You're trying to figure out, how do I live in this as the person, as a child of God? And you want to control it. You want to get back and get your hands on it. But the fact that God Almighty is God Almighty means that you can say, He is in control. He is in charge. Nothing is impossible with God, Luke says. It may be impossible with me, but it's not impossible with God. So that should help us as we make our decisions about life and how we deal with things as Christians. But if you're not a believer, or maybe you're a practical atheist, and this is where you start finding out if you're a practical atheist. See, I believe God's the creator. I believe in God. I believe that he created the universe. Don't understand it, but I believe it. But this almighty part, that God is in charge of me, that because he's so great and he, he knows everything, that he's holy, he's just, that I have to submit to him? I'm not sure I like that. So you're living as a practical atheist. You say, I love God, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it my way. And if God says this in Scripture, I'm not going to follow that. That's being a practical atheist. That's saying you don't believe God is in charge. You don't really believe that he's able to control the situation. That you don't really believe that you should submit to him. And if you don't submit to God, you're not with God, it says in Romans chapter 8. You're not one of his children. You're not following and obeying God. You're rejecting God, the Bible says. Are you a practical atheist? You're going to pick and choose when you're going to let God be the creator, when you're going to let God be almighty? The truth is we all do that, don't we? We're all at times practical atheists. But we need as Christians to say, listen, God, you're holy. God, you are all-knowing. You're all-powerful. God, you're just. You're in charge. And daily, surrender back over to God what is God's. All those things are powerful about God. He's the creator of the universe. That's how he revealed himself. He's, he is almighty. He's in charge of everything. And those are kind of scary to us. He, he's, in, he's a big creator. He's the owner of us. And then he's almighty. He knows everything about me. And if that's the only way that God revealed us, himself to us, we would be scared more than we are. But God has revealed himself to us in a third way, which is God is our father. He revealed himself to us as a father, which means not that God's a male, but it means that God's intimate. He's personal. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, 
The one who is almighty, who knows everything about you, and knows everything about me, has chosen to reveal himself in a very personal way to us so that we can be connected to God. God's a spirit. He's not male or female. But when he chose to reveal himself to us, he chose to reveal himself to us as a father. Some of you had good dads. And some of you had bad dads. So when you hear God's your father, that does nothing for you. That makes you angry. That makes you mad because your dad was a jerk to you. So you can't picture God that way. God is the picture of a good father. God's the picture of how a father should be. So fathers are to look to God to see how we're supposed to be fathers. So you can't take the picture of your dad and say, well, I I hate God even more because if God's my father, my dad was a jerk. So I can't have a relationship with God and I wouldn't want to have a relationship with God. That's not God. But God has said he's personal. As a father, God, the Bible says, the greatest is God is love. And as a father, he chose to reveal himself to us in that way. And as a father, he saw that we went against his way. He's the creator, owner of the universe. And we rebelled. And we said, I don't want you to be in charge, God. I want to be in charge. And so the Bible says we sinned. And we've all done our own thing. We haven't followed God exactly the way we're supposed to. The Bible says that's sin. We haven't done everything that God's asked us to do. The Bible says that's sin. That's sin. The Bible says separates us from God. Not everybody is God's child. We are all part of God's creation. But not everybody in the world is God's child. So how do you become God's child? If he reveals himself to us as a father, how do you connect to God as your father? How do you see that I need God? I am, I'm a sinner. I'm away from God. I want to see him as my father. He says he revealed himself very personally. He did it by sending his son. He came himself, Jesus, God with us. I had a great dad. Friday, he would have turned 73. And the more... That he's been gone, the more I think about him, and the more other dads I meet, and the other people I meet, I realize, wow, he was a good dad. He was a very good dad. That's how God presents himself to us, like a good father that we can connect to, that we can be very personal with. We can cry out to him, Abba, Father. He's our dad, if we know Jesus. You can connect with him in that way. He wants to have a relationship With you, the Almighty Creator of the universe. Instead of being a cruel dictator, the Bible says He revealed Himself to you as a loving Father. He loved you so much that He was willing, it says in Romans 8, to give up His own Son and let His Son die so that you could be His Son. You could have life. And not all religions are true. Not all views of God are true. Because if all of them were true, as it was said in a blog this week by Paul Rizkella, 
then God would be very cruel. But God's not very cruel. There used to be an illustration that many pastors would talk about. And in in the Czech Republic a few years ago, they made a movie called, a short film called Most. It's the story of a father with his son. This, This father, and he lost his wife, and he's got this son. And he loves his son. And the dad works for a train station. And his job is to lower the bridge and raise the bridge. And one day his son was with him at work. And he's crawling around on the tracks, and the train's coming early. And the kid sees, he's, he's on the track, the, the, the boy sees it, and he's, he yells to his dad, Dad, lower the bridge, lower the bridge, lower the bridge. But he, he, his dad doesn't hear him. And so the son sees where he can, there's a switch where he's at, and he goes down to, to, to lower the bridge and grab the switch. And while he's grabbing the switch, he falls into the gears. And then the dad realizes it, and the train's getting closer. What's the dad going to do? There's hundreds of people on the train. In the movie, they show the people and all the different families. What's the dad going to do? The son he loves, if he pulls the switch, will die. If he doesn't pull the switch, hundreds of people will die. And the movie shows the dad pulling the switch, screaming, pounding his head, and he kills his son, and the train goes by. That story is what God did for us, and God would be unbelievably cruel if there was another way to get to him. If there was another way to connect with the Father than through the Son, then a good father would have done it. But the Bible says there was no other way. God loved us so much as a father that he was willing to give up his own son and that those who believe in the son can have life. God's not cruel. There was no other way to rescue us but by sending Jesus. But by sending Jesus, our God, our creator, the almighty, the loving father, says, I love you. Even what you did this week, even what you did five years ago, even the sin and the rebellion in your life from 15 years ago, I loved you so much that I was willing to let my only begotten son die so that you could have life. Do you believe in this God? Is that the God you're fully committing in? that you are absolutely trusting in, that I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, who through Jesus gives us great hope that we can know Him. And the way to know Him, the way to connect with Him, is saying, God, I see that you love me. I see that I'm a sinner. I see that I needed to die for my sins, that you're just and holy. But I, did, I, I need you. I can't fix myself. God, I see that sometimes I act like a practical atheist. I don't do what you want me to do, and I can't fix that. So you connect with God by asking him through Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life, or to then and to live for him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you do that on a regular basis, not to be saved again, but to stay in fellowship with him. Just repent and believe that it's not what we do. It's what Jesus did for us. The good Father sent us a rescuer that we can trust in Jesus. So every single day, it's not about what we do. 
We don't have to worry if the Father isn't happy with us. We can just keep running to Jesus. A good father does this. A good father doesn't like conflict with his kids. We had it last night at our family with my youngest one. I wanted it fixed, but there was an offense. And he was all worked up and didn't know how to fix it. So it fell on the father to go to the son and say, hey, buddy, this is how we fix it. God did that for us because we couldn't do it on, our, for our, on ourselves. And God loves us. Jesus loves us. And he says, come to me. Believe. Commit your life through Christ and keep trusting me because I am God, the Father, Almighty creator of heaven and earth. And we can rest in that God. We can rejoice in that God. Is that the God that you're believing in? Is that the God that you're resting in? God says, believe, come, trust. You don't have to do anything. I did it for you. Keep trusting in that God. Celebrate the light 